Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I have no idea what time it is where you're listening to this podcast, but welcome to another episode of the Chaldean Priest Show. Let's get started. So, you know what I realized this week is that not that many people know that just like there are civil laws in the world, there are also ecclesial laws which govern the church. And I'm actually going to school for that at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. to be a canon lawyer. But yeah, we have laws in the church that uh, dictate how you're supposed to run things because in order to have order in the church and certain guidelines and to understand the different elements in the church, we have laws uh, and we have courts. It's called a tribunal. And the highest court, just like there is a highest court in America, which is the Supreme Court, the highest court in the church is called the Apostolica Signatura, which is located in Rome. And that's obviously for big, high-profile cases. But in any case, most dioceses around the world do have a tribunal where the priests are canon lawyers, and there's a judge, and so on and so forth, in which they bring certain files and certain, you know, problems that are happening within the church. So that's a fun fact of the day. In any case, last time I left you off with a little introduction to this podcast, and also a few things from the Chaldean liturgy that have to do with Lent. So what I'm doing today is I'm going to draw from a certain basilica hymn that's from the second Sunday of Lent, in the Chaldean liturgy. And this piece is actually mind-blowing because what these fathers did who composed this basilica hymn, and remember, as I mentioned in the first podcast, these poetic and theological writings were written centuries ago, right? Within the 3rd, 4th, 5th century. We can't really find out the date or authorship because it's been so long. And like I said, the Chaldean church has been through so much persecution, but this Basilica hymn is filled and it's completely packed with our journey of salvation and the entire salvation history compiled within this Basilica hymn. So let's get started. It says, come, let us all give thanks and glorify our good God. As much as we are able, for his benefits to our race, honor him for our establishment. From the beginning, in the name of his honorable image, and when the enemy envied our honor and cast us out of our glory, the Lord was revealed to us. Okay, pause. So, right here, what they're, what this author is doing is he's first building a foundation on who God is and what he did for us and how much our race, our broken human nature benefited from him and from everything he gave us. And look how look how distinct this is. It says, when the enemy envied our honor, this is a complete allusion to Lucifer. So how did the devil become who he was? Lucifer was an angel and angels were able to see and able to know how salvation history was going to play out. So when Lucifer saw that salvation was to come from a man, from a human being, that didn't sit well with him. Because remember, there's a, there's a hierarchy 
within beings, within created beings. And human beings, I'm sorry, you guys, I'm sorry to break this to you, but human beings are at the bottom of the totem pole. And for him to understand this and to see that salvation was going to come from mere human being, this didn't sit well. So just as human beings have a free will, so did angels. Angels were able to choose uh, between good and evil. And Lucifer was the one to choose the evil, which caused us, as this Basilica hymn goes on, to cast us out of our glory. That's what happened. From sin, we were casted out of glory. And then it continues. The Lord was revealed to us and spoke to us in His Son. So this is a direct allusion to the incarnation of Christ. And then it goes on to say, In whose birth gathered us from the error of ignorance to the knowledge of His divinity. So through the birth of Christ, we now have an opportunity to have this knowledge of who God is. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, as we see from the Gospel of John. And a lot of people ask all the time, okay, what if someone is not born into a Catholic family? What if someone is not Catholic? Will they be saved? Will that person find salvation? And just to you know, shed some clarity, and this isn't really the topic for today, but I want to address this. And just remember, God judges each person, each individual, specifically according to what they know. So, for example, if someone was never exposed to the church, was never exposed to who Christ is, was never exposed to the person of Christ, was never exposed to Scripture, etc., so on and so forth, God will not judge that man the same as someone who, for example, is living in America, knows Catholicism, knows who Christ is, knows that the church exists, know that Scripture exists. God will judge those two individuals in a very different way. And what this Basilica, Basilica hymn is showing is that we had an error of ignorance before the Incarnation, but then we received the knowledge of His divinity. When God became man, that is our opportunity to search for the truth. And then it goes on to say, who was baptized and gave us a true adoption? And just FYI, this concept of adoption is a very packed theological subject that is packed with a lot of meaning and also a lot of controversy between the Catholics and our Protestant brothers and sisters. So, I'll wait till I do my Bible study on Paul to get into adoption. But, in any case, it continues. And this is where I want to put the most emphasis. Okay, so bear with me. Who fasted and gave encouragement to our weariness, that we might overcome Satan, in whose death conquered the tyrant. Oh, by the way, just a disclaimer, if I do sound weird, it's because I'm a little congested, so sorry about that. Okay, anyway, so Jesus who fasted and gave encouragement to our weariness. Now, I want to stop here really quick and address something. Why do we need encouragement, and why do we have weariness? 
why are we human beings so in need and actually dire need of encouragement? And what this author is saying is we need encouragement for our weariness. What causes weariness? What is that thing that causes weariness? And in my opinion, something that causes deep, dark weariness is addiction. People that are addicted, people that do not have mastery over their free will and no longer know how to decipher between the good and bad, between the right and wrong. And this goes for anyone who has met someone that's dealing with an addiction or you might be dealing with an addiction yourself. It can really take a toll on someone. And it could definitely cause someone to become weary. Because, for example, what are some kinds of addictions? One is the addiction to drugs, right? If someone is addicted to drugs, someone becomes a slave to that drug, whatever that drug is. And when you're a slave, you're attached and you really don't, you no longer have a sense of what is good for you. You no longer have a sense of detachment from that addiction. That's why a lot of people that end up with being addicted to very heavy drugs like opioids and what have you, they need to be sent to rehab in order to get back into their right mind and understand how to defeat this addiction. And even if someone is addicted to, let's say, marijuana, and obviously most cases with people being addicted to marijuana and having a habitual lifestyle of uh, smoking marijuana think that, you know, they don't need that rehab. And obviously, me as a priest, I've heard every excuse in the book of why someone, to justify someone smoking marijuana, you know, whether it's the argument of it's better than alcohol, whether it's legal, uh, whether it's an argument of it doesn't hurt you, so on and so forth. You see what these excuses are doing. They're causing someone to justify this addiction within their minds. And that's what people do with addictions. They, they start to justify why they're doing this in their minds to try to get someone you know, across the table from them to agree with them. And I'm not going to get into all those arguments right now. I will probably later in another podcast. But the fact of the matter is, is admitting and understanding that someone that you have an addiction to something is the first step of acknowledgement, number one. And number two is the first step of receiving this encouragement from Christ. And another addiction that's an actual pandemic is the addiction to pornography. That's one of the things that encouraged me to start a anti-pornography organization. And I haven't launched any anything yet. I'm still in the works and it's, you know, a bigger beast than I expected, but it's because pornography has become the modern day Egypt, where those who are addicted to pornography are the Israelites in captivity. 
But the issue is, is God has, as we saw from this Basilica hymn, God has released us through his incarnation, through his baptism, through his glory, through his fasting, has allowed us to be free from anything. And when we become addicted to something after the fact, that is by our own doing. And the and this is very sad to say, but the pornography industry has created slaves of a lot of people. A lot of people have become addicted and become slaves to this. And not only that, have become slaves and have had deep addictions to also sexual desires. If it's not pornography, it's something else. We have become a very perverted nation, a very perverted world. And addiction to this requires a lot of effort on one's end to pull themselves away from that. And then what becomes the underlying cause of a lot of these sexual addictions? It's from the device that you're listening to this podcast from. Now, I'm not saying don't listen to this podcast anymore and don't use your phone because I wouldn't want you to do that. But what I'm saying is having more mastery over your passions in order to not be pulled in and sucked into this technological savvy world. Because, I mean, if you have, if you're listening and you have kids or you have nieces or you have nephews or what have you, or, or little cousins, whatever, I'm pretty sure you have seen most of them just completely sucked into their iPads. And the iPad probably has a broken screen from some frustration over a game. I don't know. But it's starting at a very young age. And we become victims of this too. And now, I mean, iPhones came out, I, I mean, fairly recently, probably a year or two ago. I forgot when, but it came out with this new feature on the iPhone where you could see your screen time. I guess that's in order to help people manage how much they're using their phone and how much they're looking at a screen. But this pandemic didn't even help at all, right? Because it's almost as if people are using their phones and using technology and all these things to let out these endorphins that should be let out in a much more virtuous way. And that's one of the ways, honestly, that people are able to overcome any of their addictions is taking these endorphins that we have instilled in us and letting them out in another virtuous way. For example, exercise. Exercise is an excellent means of letting out these endorphins. And if it's not that, any other virtuous thing that someone could do, whether it's learning a new instrument, whether it's, I don't know, going on a walk, praying the rosary, whatever it is. All of these things will help someone become detached from any addiction. Because look what happens in this Basilica hymn. So it says, Jesus who fasted and gave encouragement to our weariness that we might overcome Satan. So all of this is to overcome Satan. But this is a key part. Jesus, in whose death 
conquered the tyrant. The Chaldean liturgy is very, very explicit on who Satan is. He's a tyrant. He wants tyranny over your lives. He wants tyranny over your hearts. And he gets that when we fall into addiction. This tyrannical enemy of ours is constantly waving addiction in front of our faces until we bite. And that is something, especially during this time of Lent, that we need to be very vigilant about. Is one, noticing when he's waving it in front of our faces. And number two, building up a will that's able to reject that and to say no and to desire the greater good. That's not some addiction that we could fall into. So, that's my spiel on this part of the Chaldean liturgy for this week. And now, as many of you know, we go on to our next segment, The Lion's Den. What is truth? The famous line by Pontius Pilate right before he crucified Jesus. Well, according to Thomas Aquinas... Truth is a mind's conformity to reality. Now, in the past several years, we have seen a big growth in the transgender community. And the reason why I mentioned truth in the beginning is because truth is objective. And the, the way the world portrays truth now they portray it in a very subjective manner, which allows one to interpret truth by their own means, like there isn't a universal truth that exists. Now, what's happening with transgenderism is, mind you, this has never been a topic for centuries long, until probably the past decade. And what's happening now is society is basically forcing people to indulge and to accept certain things that are completely contrary to the truth. We see in Genesis that God created the male and female. And for centuries long, this has never been a debate. But now... We have to pretend that because someone is a male that no longer wants to be a male and wants to be addressed as a female, that we need to accept that. And if we don't accept that, we are being quote-unquote ignorant. But that is a furthest thing from the truth because gender is not something in the mind. And gender is not something that is subjective and could supersede basic biology. Just like I can't magically make myself 70 years old, even though I look like it with all my gray hairs. But anyway, I can't do that because that is contrary to what the truth is. And a sad fact is, is that the suicide rate for people that come out as transgender 
is 40%. And that is a, a horrific statistic. Because as you know, the church teaches to cherish human life. And if I know that someone will be harmed by doing this certain thing, why would I encourage them to do that? And that is what society is doing. It is putting pressure on many people to encourage something that is contrary to the truth, that is contrary to reality. Because remember, the truth is the mind's conformity to reality. We are living in the truth when we accept reality and we're living in reality and not creating ourselves our own reality where we expect the rest of the world to indulge in it. Now, this is a huge topic and I could go on and on and on, but I will save that for another podcast. See you next time.